Uh, for the sake of today, though, we're going to pick up second week of a series. So if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go online, check out what we talked about last week uh, in the series. But we are in this series called Neighboring. And uh, in this series, here's what we're doing. Let me catch you up to speed. We're doing one sermon for four weeks. So what I mean by that is the conversation lasts for four weeks, okay? And we're going to be one sermon, so I want you to come all four weeks if you can, catch up if you can't, and then we're going to spend all four weeks in one passage of the Bible. So there's one particular passage, we're going to be in that passage all four weeks of this series, and that passage is in Luke 10. And what we're going to be doing these four weeks together is talking about the most important thing we can be talking about in this room. We said that, that we are going to ask ourselves the most important question that we can ask ourselves in this room, and that question is simply this, what kind of neighbor am I? What kind of neighbor am I? That is what we're answering with the entire series. And so we just kind of said out loud what some of you are thinking, right? Is that really the most important thing we can be talking about? Everything going on in the world, is this the most important thing that we can be tackling on a Sunday morning? And we said it certainly is. Don't take my word for it, is what we said, right? Don't take my word for it. But Jesus, on one occasion, was asked a question. He was asked a question by a guy who was really, really smart when it came to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And that question was this, Jesus, what's the most important law for us to keep? If you could prioritize them, what's the most important? And Jesus said this in Mark 12. He said, the most important is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then he said this, the second one is just like it. It's this, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we leaned into this. This is so important. He said, there is no commandment greater than these. Jesus basically saying to the guy who asked him the question, Jesus basically saying, Norton Campus, Grace Church, 2018, there is nothing, nothing, nothing more important y'all could be talking about today than what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Because there is no commandment greater than these. You can't separate loving God and loving your neighbor. Those two go together. We said it this way. It's important because loving God results in loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor reflects that I love God. The two hold hands. You can't separate them. They go together. That loving God will eventually result in me loving others. whole book of 1 John talks about this, right? And loving others is a reflection that I love God. I can't say I love God and not love my neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. And so we said last week it's one of the most important questions we could answer. But here's what I want to talk about today. What if, what if, just think about this. What if this was not just one of the most important questions we could ask, but what if this was one of the most impacting things we could do? What if what Jesus is saying here is not just an important question for you and I to ask ourselves, but what if the answer to that question is one of the most impacting things we could do as a follower of Christ? What if answering that question was one of the most impactful things we could do as a church? What if this is the way for us to have the greatest impact on the most amount of people? Let's just talk about this for a second. If you know anything about Grace Church, here's what I tell you, that here at Grace Church, our desire is to impact as many people as possible. That's what we want to do. We want to impact as many people. So we have all kinds of activities that we do to impact people. And some of you that have been around, you know what some of them are, right? We filled backpacks up so that we could give them to kids so that hundreds of kids could start their school year with full backpacks, right? We want it to impact as many kids as possible. 
We're doing this million meal project with our community. Feed My Starving Children is a part of that. We also collect trunk food. Why? We want to impact as many people. It's an activity to impact lots of people. Christmas time, you're going to hear me talking about this giving tree farm. You guys are incredible every Christmas where we just kind of give away to people who are in need. Activities to impact people. Not only that, we do events to impact as many people as possible, right? We've had events in this room like the Sex Trafficking Forum, right? Some of you were part of that. Why did we do that? We want to impact as many people as possible. We did a heroin awareness event in this room. About 500 people came from the community. Why? We want to impact as many people as possible. Every service that we do in here, Sunday morning, special services, Christmas, our desire is to impact as many people as possible. But here's the question for today. What if, what if the answer to this, what if the answer to this most important question was the solution to the most pressing needs in our community? What if the answer to this question, do I love my neighbor as myself, is the answer to the most pressing needs in Akron, in Norton, in Wadsworth, in Doylestown? What if the answer wasn't another government program? What if the answer wasn't another church program? But what if the answer was living the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself? What if the emphasis should not simply be how do we get more people in this room, but what if the focus was how do we get the people in this room right now to leave this room to neighbor the people that are already in their neighborhood? It makes me think of one. I've read and been exposed to three different books in preparation for this series, and I like to let you know what some of those are. Some of you like to read. And one of them is called The Art of Neighboring. If you like to read, that might be one worth picking up. But in that book, it's written by some pastors. And one of the pastors that was the author of that book was writing about a situation in Colorado where he and 20 other pastors, 20 other pastors got together with the mayor of their town. And their desire was with the mayor of their town to say, hey, how can we as pastors of our churches partner with you and having the greatest impact in our community with the greatest needs in our community. And so the mayor began to outline all the things that were going on in their community. Began to outline all the ways in which they needed help. He talked about kids who didn't have dads to mentor them. He talked about dilapidated housing. He talked about widows who needed people to look in on them. Talked about all of these things. And then the mayor, the mayor, the mayor, not one of the pastors, said this. He said, the majority of the issues that our community is facing, listen close, lean in, would be eliminated or at least drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Wow. He later went on to explain that when people identify a problem, what they normally do is they go to a government or civic official and they say, hey, we have a serious issue. Could we start a program to address it? The mayor shared candidly with us that in his opinion, government programs aren't always the most effective way to address social issues. This is what he said. He went on to say that relationships are more effective than programs. Why? Because they're organic and they're ongoing. The idea is this, he said. He's talking to a group of 20 pastors, by the way. That when neighbors are in relationship with one another, the elderly shut-in gets cared for by the person 
next door. The at-risk kid gets mentored by the dad who lives on the same block. The mayor shared this, got up and left, and the room was filled with 20 pastors. The author of the book said, after a moment of awkward silence, he spoke up and he said, am I the only one, listen, listen, am I the only one who's embarrassed that our mayor just challenged us to challenge our congregations to obey Jesus better? Which led them to call another meeting about four weeks later where they invited the city manager. Her name was Vicki. And they had heard that she had put together some programs involving neighboring. So these pastors invited her in to talk about how they could become part of these neighboring movements. And this is what she said. I want everybody in the room to listen up. Oh, by the way, this won't be great news. Listen up. Vicki, city manager, said, from the city's perspective, there really isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in their community. Wow. What she's basically saying, there really isn't much difference between the way Christians and non-Christians listen to Jesus. That's what she was saying. You see, the question for today is, what if it wasn't just the most important question? What if it was one of the most impacting things? It all led us to a very familiar story. Most of you have heard of it, even if you don't read the Bible, right? You've heard of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that's so familiar that some, in some ways it's lost its power. It's become so general that we've stopped applying it specifically to our lives. And so we've just been leaning into that and saying, hey, what if we read the story of the Good Samaritan with our street, our neighborhood, our apartment complex, our cul-de-sac, our trailer court in mind? It reads different when you read it that way. And so that's where we went last week. I want to take you back there just to review this week, and then we gotta, we got to go to the next spot. But here's what it says. On an occasion, expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. We talked about this last week. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you're the expert in the law. What's written in the law? How do you read it? The guy answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He answers right, right? He gives the Old Testament answer. And then he gives the, the part Jesus added to it. Like, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. He says, do this and you will live. Come week four. I want to talk to you about that. It's important you come week four. That is so full of meaning. But for today, I want you to, uh, to circle this in your Bibles. But he, the expert in the law, wanted to, say that word out loud, justify himself. He wanted to make himself look good. He wanted to make sure he came out of this conversation looking good. He wanted to make sure he found a loophole to make sure he was keeping the bare minimum requirement of what was expected. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus a question, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to ask a question in response to that question. Instead, I'm going to tell you a story. Man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, we said this last week, that is a real road. That is a road everybody would have known kind of road. That is a road where you would have been warned, don't go on that road alone kind of road. And that man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, 18 miles downhill the whole way, and he was attacked by robbers. They attacked him, stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, and they left him half dead. And that's when the plot thickens because Jesus never does anything flippantly or haphazardly. And so he introduces the next characters. A priest, guy works at the temple, a religious leader, a priest, high on the socioeconomic ladder, happened to be going down the same road. 
when he saw the man, the man in the ditch, the man naked, half dead in the ditch. And the religious leader, the highly respected community, religious spiritual leader saw the man and it says he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. We said JV, kind of pretty. He's learning. He's, he's interning, right? When he came to the place, same place, saw the same man in the ditch, he too passed by on the other side. And if you were here last week, the story goes on. Because at that point, Jesus like, he says, but there was, a, and everybody would have been like, huh? A Samaritan, right? The hated Samaritans. And if you know the story, and we'll get there next week, it's the purpose of next week. The Samaritan comes along, sees the same man in the same road, in the same condition, and that man, the hated man, the man you wouldn't expect to stop, that man stopped, had pity, cared for, took care of that man in that ditch, which led Jesus to ask this man a question. And the question that he asked him was this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, remember, we said this last week, the guy answers him, but he won't say the word Samaritan. He can't choke that eyes. The Samaritan, he's not going to say that. He basically says, well, you know, obviously the guy who showed mercy. But here's what I want you to know for the sake of the day, and then we got to go. We got to go. Here's what I want you to know. Everybody in the room, everybody in the room would have heard in this question a bigger question, that what Jesus was actually asking them was this. Which of these three in this story do you think loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind by loving their neighbor as themselves? Why? Because loving God results in loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor always, always is going to reflect there's this love for God. Now, here's the deal for today. Everybody look here a second. Obviously, in the story, can I just state the obvious? The Samaritan is the one Jesus wants us to emulate. Just shake your head if you'd agree, right? He's the good guy, right? He's the hero. He did the right thing. Like, if Jesus is telling the story, it's like, do what he did, right? That, that's how you would read it, right? Do what he did. He did the right thing. The guys you think would do the right thing didn't do the right thing. The guy that you wouldn't think would do the right thing, he did the right thing, right? And so that's easy for you to pick out, right? But even though he's the one that I know Jesus wants us to emulate, listen, 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 listen. I don't think he's the one that's easiest to identify with. <laughs> like, I honestly don't think that the Samaritan is the easiest one to identify with. And today, for a few minutes, just for a few minutes, I want to focus on the ones in the story that you think think would be the neighboring type who end up not being the neighboring type, the priest and the Levite. Because when you really, really get underneath their story and you try to understand them, which we shouldn't be too hard on them, can we at least make an agreement, let's not be too hard on the priest and the Levite? Because when you understand them, maybe all of a sudden you begin to understand why they didn't neighbor and maybe, maybe you can begin to identify with them and not judge them. Just think about it. I mean, why in the world didn't the priest stop? Just think about it logically. You may not know this about priests, but that dude was a busy man. Like, if you know anything about a priest, that dude was busy, had a busy life. In fact, if he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, here's what we can assume, that he probably just got done serving two weeks in the temple. He just got done doing some really important religious stuff, some church stuff. He's tired, he spent two weeks 
doing really important church stuff, and he's walking home. He can't wait to get home, right? It's like been an exhausting week, sacrifices and church stuff and religious stuff and listening to people and all this. I have an important job, and he knows that if he listened close, you might not have known this if you don't understand Jewish culture, if you don't understand kind of the Old Testament law, if he gets within six feet of this guy, listen close, if he gets in six feet of this guy, he'll be pronounced ceremonially unclean. And if he is pronounced ceremonially unclean, instead of going home because he's tired, now he has to turn around, go back to Jerusalem because he's now unclean. He has to stand at the Eastern gate and he has to stand with all the other unclean sinners and wait for a seven day cleansing period for one of his fellow priest to come and pronounce him clean. And he cannot do the duties of a priest for one rotation. Like there's a part of you that's like, I don't know, dude's busy. He just kind of made a calendar decision like he wants to get home. Or maybe, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's just he and the Levite are really, really smart. I mean, can we at least entertain that for a second? Like maybe they're just doing the wise and smart thing because they're looking at the guy and they're like, man, that looks like that's fresh. That just happened. And those guys that did that to him probably are still here somewhere. <laughs> and and like, like, like they'll probably know that I, a priest, am higher on the socioeconomic ladder, that maybe I'm coming back from the temple, that maybe I'm coming back with a, a pay or something. And maybe if I stop and help him, maybe they'll see me as somebody that they could attack too. I mean, maybe these guys are just smart. Like, mama said that wouldn't be wise. I'm going to ask somebody else come along. Or maybe, maybe, maybe they looked at the guy and they just said it's just too late. You know, the guy's half dead. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe the priest and Leo are like, I didn't come prepared to help a guy in that state, right? Somebody else more prepared than me is going to have to come along. And maybe, maybe he did something to deserve it. I don't know. I think I'm going to wait for somebody else that's better prepared in a better position to help him than me. You see, here's what I know. There might be, listen close, lean in. There might be some good reasons why these two guys didn't stop. And there might be some good reasons Jesus chose these two guys to be the characters in the story because they are two guys that it would be easy in your mind to justify them not stopping. And it might be the very reason he chose them because remember Jesus knew why the guy was asking the question. If you remember what you circled in your Bibles, he wanted to say the word again out loud. And maybe that's the point of the story. And maybe the point of the story, and the only point I have today is this, and I want you to write it down, that maybe Jesus knew that not neighboring is easy for me to justify. And maybe that's why I can identify with these guys. Because he's talking to a guy who's trying to justify himself. He wanted to find a loophole. He wanted to make sure he could do the bare minimum. He wanted to somehow feel okay about what he was doing and okay about what he was not doing. And so I think Jesus used two people that it would have been easy to identify with, two people that were doing very important things, yet missing the whole point of neighboring. Everybody look here a second. These two guys look like losers. Shake your head if you agree. They, in the story, just shake your head, don't they? Come on. They, you didn't shake your head, right? They look like losers. You read it, face value, these guys look like losers. Until all of a sudden you read the story and you begin to say maybe there's reasons and you realize how easy it is for me to live on my street and justify not neighboring. 
How easy it is for me to live in my apartment complex and find loopholes for what Jesus is saying here. How easy it is for me to live day to day and pass by the people that I live around on the other side of the street. Guys, it is easy to justify not doing what Jesus said he wants us to do. And we have all kinds of reasons why we justify it. All kinds of reasons why we rationalize not neighboring. Let me suggest a couple. I want you to write them down. See if you can find yourself this morning. Now listen, look here a second. I want you to find yourself, not somebody else. I want you to find yourself. Because I'm easy to find in here. I'm going to tell you where I'm at in here. Okay? I I always try to be appropriately vulnerable with you and transparent. I'm in here. In fact, I'll start with the first one. One of the reasons we justify not neighboring is I'm too busy to neighbor. Can I get an amen in the room just so I'm not alone? Anybody? Yeah, nobody. Thank you. I appreciate that. I love you guys too, right? I can't tell you the amount of times I drive home thinking to myself this. This is just being honest. Like there are some days my days start really early. There are some days when I'm here that I'm with people all day long. Like, like I'll go home and say to my wife, I was never alone today. Like, 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 like I'm, I'm working all day long. I'm, I'm listening to people. I'm helping people. I'm giving counsel to people. I'm leading teams. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, guys, listen to me. I'm, I'm doing some important things. And when I'm driving home, the last thing on my mind is neighboring. I know y'all don't struggle with that. Don't judge me, though. That's what I'm thinking. I drive home, and I'm like, I don't want a neighbor It's the last thing on my mind. In fact, I think to myself, don't make eye contact, right? Don't make eye contact. That's what I think. I know you don't struggle with it. I do. That's fine. It's good for me to get it out, all right? And I'm thinking to myself, the last thing I want to do is make eye contact because I might get involved in a conversation and then, oh, no, and all I was looking for is that you fill in the blanks. And the whole way home, I pass people that are in ditches, figuratively speaking, The whole way home, I pass people with stories, with hurts, even with happinesses they want to share. And it's so easy for me to pass on the other side. I'm just too busy. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Busy doing good things. But listen, you ought to write this down somewhere. Busy doesn't mean I'm doing the most important things all the time. You already know that, right? Busy doesn't mean that I'm always doing what is most important. And Jesus said, hey, there's no command greater than this. Yeah, but I'm busy. (laughs) All this makes me think of, I had a friend in college. Uh, By the way, this is, parents, I'm doing this for your sake. All the high school students, listen up. I did not have a car until I was a senior in college. Can I get an amen on that? It was different back then. I didn't have a car. So when I went to college, if you had a car, you're like, man, that was a big deal. Like, big deal, right? I mean, I couldn't afford a car and all that. I had a friend of mine who had a car as a freshman. He came from the other side of the tracks or something, and he had a really, really nice car, and, and he took care of that car. He was consumed with that car. He waxed that car worse. It seemed like he waxed it every other week. He was always doing something to that car. That car was spotless, had these hubcaps, incredible, had these lights that shined up in the back, all this stuff. Man, we were all jealous. He drove that car around, and everywhere we saw, there he went, jealous of his car. We're walking. He's driving. It was a cool car. He always, always, always was taking care of his car. One day I saw it in the parking lot, didn't move. I'm like, oh, he must be sick. It was in there two days, three days, in there all week. Finally, end of the week, I'm like, dude, what, you know, your car, it hasn't moved. What's going on? He 
you know, you got this really nice car. What's wrong with it? He said, ah, it's not running. I said, what's wrong with it? He said, engine burn up. I didn't put any oil in the car. Listen, what was he doing? He was doing some important things. Daddy always said, wax your car. He was doing some good things, right? He just didn't happen to be doing the most important things. You see, Jesus said there's nothing more important for us to be doing than loving our neighbor as ourselves. And sometimes I can justify not neighboring because I'm just too busy. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is this. This is going to be weird to some of you guys, but the solution is found in this weird, obscure Old Testament passage. Okay? In the book of Leviticus. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to show you. But it's the book you get stuck in when you're trying to read through your Bible. You know, it's like, what? That's kind of weird. In Leviticus 19, write it down somewhere, that's where a chapter that's devoted to loving your neighbor. You're like, it is? It is. Go back and reread it. It's devoted to loving your neighbor. And in the middle of that chapter, in the middle of this chapter in Leviticus, God tells his people to do something weird. It just sounds weird to us. And here's what he says. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. He's saying, don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Instead, he's saying, I want you to leave them for the poor and the foreigner. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. What is he saying? Like, that sounds weird. In this section, in Leviticus 19, where he is encouraging us to love our neighbor, he's saying, I want you in the agricultural world they live to leave some margin, to leave those things in your field in order to take care of the poor and the foreigners around you. He said, I want you to leave margin in your field. What is God saying? I want you to leave margin so that you can take care of the people who live around you. Build some margin in your field. Listen, I ain't no farmer, but the application is not lost on me. The reason I don't neighbor, listen close. I know you don't struggle with it. Let me get it off my chest. The reason I don't neighbor is I don't have any margin built into my life. We just too busy. We are the most technologically advanced culture in history. And the reason we are so that we can free up more time and yet we're busier than ever. Because we can drive our car, text, shave, watch a video, eat an Egg McMuffin all at the same time, right? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. If you're here and you're a parent, your kid's in travel, baseball, basketball, football, swimming, and plays the tuba, Right? You're part of the PTA, you go to FCA, love the NBA, right? Member of the NRA, whatever it is, right? We're strung out, wiped out, and worn out. We are a busy group of people. And the question of margin is this. You ought to write it down somewhere. Do I have time to engage people? Like, do I have any margin, any time to engage people? I'm going to tell you something. It's a struggle. Because we fill our calendars up. We got no margin to get involved. We do not want to be interrupted. When I take an honest look at my life, I realize, man, I have literally scheduled out what's most important. In this art of neighboring, there's this interesting quote. It says this, do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to those who live around me? Now, here's, here's, the, here's the real question. If not... Are all the things I'm doing more important than the great commandment? That's the one that's like, 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 like I just don't have time. Like, I don't have time to go golfing with my neighbor. 
Like my neighbor would like to go golfing with me. This is me just being really honest with you. And, and I'm having a hard time finding time. And I think to myself, hmm, I wonder if the things that make it so that I don't have time are more important than the great commandment. And if I'm honest, there's some things I'm doing that are really, really important, but my neighbor wants to spend some time with me. It makes me ask myself the question is, in my life, if I thought of my life and my time like a budget, do I intentionally budget time to love my neighbor? There's this guy I listen to a lot. His name's J.D. Greer. You can write this down. I, I love him. He, he says, you'll never live the, the life God intends unless you intend to. It doesn't happen just haphazardly by mistake. And then I got to ask myself, do I have built into my life some margin? Is there some area where if the unexpected comes up, I can neighbor? In another book that I've looked at for this series, you, you can write this down. These are great, by the way. In your group, you ought to get them and look at them. But next door, as it is in heaven, they, they say something that's interesting. They said that for us, we had to relearn, listen to this, the art of strolling. The art of strolling. I haven't strolled in ages, guys. When I go for a walk, I try to do it as fast as I can, get as far as I can. That's, that's the way I'm wired. I, I don't know. He said, we take lots of walks in our neighborhood. We make sure we're not in a hurry. We stop often, observe, talk, listen, engage with those in our neighborhood whom we encounter along the way. Interesting, huh? I talked to a guy I think might be in this service. I think I might have saw him in this service. He said the way that he neighbors and the way it happens for him is when he goes out in his neighborhood, he always takes his dog, and everybody wants to stop and talk to him about his dog, and that allows him then to talk to them. I love that. Not in a hurry, strolling. Listen, here's the deal. I, I just sometimes am too busy. And for some of you, you like, Dan, I'm with you on that. But for others, you're like, it's not that I'm too busy. Maybe your reason for not neighboring and justifying it is it's too risky. It's too risky. The fact of the matter is fear plays a big part in why we don't neighbor. You know, our 24-7 news, uh, news cycle kind of creates in us this constant suspicion and mistrust of people. And what if I start neighboring and people take advantage of me? What if I reach out to them and can't get rid of them, right? What if somehow I reach out to people and, and somehow I get involved in their life and, man, they're not the kind of people that I want my kids to grow up to be. And all of a sudden, I've just welcomed that in. Neighboring, listen close, neighboring, write this down somewhere, can be messy. Let me just say it. And I know what some of you are thinking. I can almost read your face. You're like, Dan, that's easy for you to say. You don't know my neighbors. I got crazy neighbors is what you're thinking, right? My neighbors are really hard to live beside kind of neighbors. And I don't know your neighbors. I really don't. And, and listen, you don't know the neighbors that I've had. Like, I've had some crazy neighbors, right? I mean, it's been wild. In the 28 years Jen and I have been married, we've had some, like we lived, we started out our marriage and Joel born brought in, in, a, in a trailer court. And listen, it, like some of you are thinking, oh, that's neat. No, no, it was a trailer court none of you would sign up to live in. I can guarantee you that, right? Like you just wouldn't, but it was the only one we could afford. Like we were just, woo, man, it was a mansion, right? We were just like, that's awesome. And my neighbor behind me, like he wanted to be my buddy. Like we move in, he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, whoa, you know? He's like, hey, you want to go running together? And I'm like, not really. Like I hate running, but I'm like, oh, no, no, okay. He said, tomorrow, let's go running together. There's a few things he didn't tell me. <laughs> like when he showed up the next day, he's like five minutes early, right? I'm getting my shorts on, my T-shirt, my running shoes. He's a former Marine. 
dude shows up in fatigue. He's got his boots on, got a backpack on. Like, I'm like, what's up? Like, We're going to run. I should ask him how far. Right? We start running. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to love my neighbor. I'm like, mm, just kind of like. All of a sudden, I hear coming from my neighbor. I'm loving my neighbor. He said, I don't know what you've been told. I just kept running like I didn't hear it. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. You're supposed to repeat that. I'm like, oh, gee. We ran the whole way through the town like, I don't know what you've been told. I'm like, I don't know what you Louder, boy, you know. Man, I've had some crazy neighbors. We moved out of that neighborhood. I'm like, woo, it's going to get some better neighbors now, right? We moved into a neighborhood, doesn't matter which neighborhood, this is true. Ask my wife. If you know my wife, ask her if this happened. It's actually funny how it wasn't at the time. She was home one day with the kids, got a knock on the door, one of our neighbors. I'm not kidding. I wish I was making this up. Knock on the door. One of our neighbors came to the door, looked at my wife, and she challenged my wife to a hair pulling contest. I'm not kidding you one bit. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a hair pulling contest. Like that? No, none of you, right? That's why my wife's got short hair. I'm just telling you, right? Same neighbor, for whatever reason, for no reason in particular, took the American flag and jammed it right in the back of my van. I'm like, what's up with that? Neighboring's messy. I'm like, can you not do that? Like, like I'm supposed to love you. Like, it's kind of getting hard. I had one neighbor on the other side of us that I'd be out in back playing with the kids. And this neighbor... I love this neighbor. And this neighbor would talk to me all day long. The only problem was that every other word, it's almost not an exaggeration, every other word was the F-bomb. My kids would look at me, they were literally like, she got pet ducks, or what's going on? You know, they're like, what's, they didn't understand. Like, don't say that word. <laughs> you know, like, can you not say that? But, but we're going to love him. See how that works? It's messy. It's like, man, I, I, I know for a fact that there's some of us who just would rather live our lives with a tight circle of friends, only letting people into our life who are going to benefit us and who feel safe. In this book I'm talking about, there's a quote. They say this, that we buy into this American notion that our home is our castle. It's our personal space that ought not to be intruded upon. We assume the greatest need of my family is safety when actually our greatest need is to experience loving and serving like Jesus did. The fact of the matter is, is that when I cut off from people in my life who sometimes are uncomfortable, not only does it mentally cut me off from the mission of God, it begins to ultimately destroy my life. And the question isn't how dangerous is that stranger. Listen close. You've got to think about this. The question is how dangerous will I become if I don't follow Jesus? That's the bigger question. To love our neighbor takes courage and to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. That's why I love one of our values here. Say this out loud with me, the, the, the top line, let's say it together. We, when given two options, we'll choose the one that no one else wants to tackle. We'll intentionally go where hope is hard to find. Listen, listen, listen. When we, every time we preach that, talk about that value, it's like, yeah, we, we've gone into Haiti, and we're helping the people in Haiti. Yeah, I'll go to Africa. Yeah, we'll go out there. Never does it cross our mind that 
maybe that's next door. Like the neighbor, you're like, Dan, you don't understand. That would be too hard. You see, somehow the fact that we do hard things is the difference between me living an impactful life and an inconsequential life. Let me ask you a question. Of what consequence is it that you live in the neighborhood you live if you're a follower of Christ? It's an interesting question, isn't it? You see, there's all kinds of reasons we justify not neighboring. It's, I'm too busy, it's too risky. Let me just say a couple more and then we're done. It's too late. It's too late. It's like some of you are thinking in your mind, you know, I got a neighbor and they are way gone. Like there's nothing I can do to help them. Can I just say simply that, that I'm glad that somebody in my life didn't give up on me? Amen? Aren't you glad? Can I better yet remind you of the words that Pastor Aiden led us to sing this morning? That we sang to God. When I was your foe, you f- still, your love fought for me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God is chasing me down. It's going to fight till I'm found. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. You gave yourself away. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, no wall you won't kick down. That's the words we sang about the love of our God for us. Some of us, it's not like our neighbors are too far gone. It's, it's like, if we're honest, some of us are like, Dan, I live in a really good neighborhood, and there's really no needs in my neighborhood, and so we think it's not necessary. It's like, it's, it's so unnecessary, like I don't see any needs, and it, it seems like everybody's got life together. Let me tell you something about that. First and foremost, I want to tell you this. All kinds of people in all kinds of places live in secret ditches. Like, everything looks like it's okay, and when you get a little closer, you're like, oh, wow. In fact, I will tell you this. The people whose lives look pristine and great on the outside are probably people who are working really hard so that you don't see the need that's back here. There are people who economically got it all together. Everything looks great. Their kids are all dressed perfectly, and yet back here, there's all kinds of emptiness Which leads to the last thing, and that's this, and then we're done. We'll pray and be dismissed. But we just don't have anything in common. They believe different things than me. They come from a different culture than me. They're a different generation than me. We just have nothing in common. And so we justify not neighboring because we think, I don't know, they wouldn't want me to talk to them. I don't want to waste my time on them. Let me tell you two things real quick about this, and then let's be done. Those of you older, let me talk to you for a second. Those of you older, uh, you're like, am I older? I, listen, if you're 40 or above, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I, I will tell you something. I hang out every Sunday night with a bunch of young adults, which, by the way, if you're a young adult and you're not coming to my house on Sunday nights, why not? Okay, I want to hang out with you. Come, about 50 young adults, come hang out with us. I want to spend time with you. I'm going to tell you guys a big misconception some of you that are older think when somebody from a different generation lives beside you. They wouldn't want 
to hear anything I have to say. They wouldn't want me to get involved in their life. We just are from different generations. That is totally false. I found hanging out Sunday nights with about 50 young adults who I'm from a different generation. I thought when we started this thing, man, these guys are going to think this old fuddy-duddy, we don't want to hang out with him. For some reason, they keep coming back. I'm not sure why, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I absolutely love them, and there are some of them that are eager for somebody to speak parentally into their life because maybe they didn't grow up with a parent. You see what I'm saying? And so you justify away, well, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Let me talk to all of you in the room that are Christ followers. This will be where, where we're going to just kind of fold it and end. There's a misunderstanding about neighboring, and it's this. Well, I'm not going to neighbor my, my neighbor because they're from a different religion, and they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus or the gospel, and so why would I neighbor them? Like, what good is it going to do? I want to clean something up for you. Even if you don't agree with what I'm going to show you, write it down, let it percolate. We think that we neighbor people so they'll become followers of Jesus, when instead we neighbor because we are followers of Jesus. Listen to me. We don't neighbor the people in our neighborhood only so that they'll come to Christ. We neighbor because we are followers of Christ. You see, if all I do is neighbor in order that they become a follower of Christ, and if they don't, I stop, it's become this ulterior motive. And by the way, your neighbors see right through it, right? The fact of the matter is I neighbor because I am a follower of Jesus, and I've been neighbored by him, which leads me to this. Last week we said neighbor's not what I am, but it's what I do, and we're going to look at this more in depth next week, but... The one in the story who showed us what that means, he saw him. And we're simply asking ourselves, do I see my neighbors? So my question to you is, how are you doing with that grid? Are you able to fill the names in around that center house of the people who live around you? You can do work or school, whatever you want to do. Do you, do you know the names of your neighbors? Which leads to the next thing. He actually took pity on him. And we're simply asking ourselves the question, do I know my neighbor's story? Because behind every door, there's a story. Every door, there's a story. And so the question is, do I have enough margin in my life to find out their story? And, and here's what I know. Just, listen, just hear me on this. I love you guys. I love being one of your pastors. And I already know that in your mind, some of you are justifying why you don't have to, why this isn't something that, why this will never work, why I get it. I'm the king of it. I'm busy. <laughs> busy. I already know you're doing the mental gymnastics because I do it every time I read the story. And yet somehow when I build margin into my life, it's like, you know, I find out that there's real stories behind those doors and that neighbor that I see and now I know his name, he's got a story. And that story is something I would never know had I not had the margin somehow intentionally built into my life where I could take the time when we met across the raspberry bushes to say, hey, tell me about. <laughs> Which leads to the last thing. It says he went to him, and I'm asking myself the question, how am I moving toward my neighbors? Jesus said there's nothing more important that we could talk about in this room. Quite frankly, there's nothing more impacting that we could do as a church or followers of Christ. 
because loving God results in loving my neighbor. So God, all across this room, I know I'm not alone. I know there's people in here doing what I have done, justifying not neighboring. I know I can't be alone. And so I simply want to say to you, please forgive me for all of the rationale and the justifications that I've had. Father, please help me to become intentional. I'm busy. Help me to build margin. Help me to somehow be intentional to build in time to love my neighbor quite frankly and specifically, to go golfing with my neighbor (laughs) so that I can ride around in a cart for 18 holes with my neighbor who I love. God, I pray then for those of us in the room who we live beside neighbors and it's like, it just seems a little risky. And maybe it does feel uncomfortable. God, I I pray that you would help us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to not give up on them, to take hope where hope is hard to find. God, my prayer is, is that this conversation wouldn't be just another conversation we have at the Norton Campus, Grace Church, 2018, that we look back and say, wow, that was a cool series, but that this conversation would unleash, unleash an army of neighbors who'd begin neighboring in this community, in our communities, in ways that would have radical results. Because right now, we're going to go home to people that are hurting, that are without hope, that are lost, no purpose, maybe no relationships. And I pray that you'd help us to go armed with what Jesus said was important and impacting. Love your neighbor as yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name.